The Teach Middle East podcast is brought to you by Schoolfinder.ae. Schoolfinder.ae is a comprehensive schools directory serving the United Arab Emirates. Is your school a member? Go to Schoolfinder.ae to find out more. Now, enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Teach Middle East podcast. My name is Lisa Grace, and today I'm joined by Phil Redhead, and he is the Director of Education and Innovation at Kinteract, and we're talking all things metaverse. Now, if like me, you don't have a clue what the whole metaverse is about and why we should sit up and pay attention, and this is the podcast for you, because we're going to be learning as much as we can from Phil who says he's not an expert, but he certainly knows more than I do and probably more than quite a few of us do. So we're going to take some lessons. We're going to learn what the metaverse is. We're going to learn why us as educators need to start paying attention to the metaverse now before it's too late and what implications it has for the classroom, for our practice, for teaching and learning and for education in general. You are listening to the Teach Middle East podcast, connecting, developing, and empowering educators. Hello, Phil. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, Lisa Grace. Thank you for inviting me on. It's great to have you. Now, before we jump into the podcast, I normally like to ask my guests to introduce themselves because if I do it, we might not be finished for today. So can you introduce yourself, please? Sure. So my name is Phil Redhead. I've been a a teacher and worked in education for more than 20 years. Originally from the UK, I'm I'm based in Dubai. I've been out in the Middle East for the past 17 years. So worked in quite a few settings um, up in Ras al-Khaimah, where I first started teaching. And then at GEMS Education for 11 years. I did some time in Saudi, working for the government there on a, a national tech deployment. And most recently with Deloitte Middle East in their education technology business there. So now I, I have my own company here, my own consulting company in Dubai. But most of my work is for Kinteract, as you said, as Director of Education and Innovation. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Now, you're a tech guy. I mean, that's how I met you, sort of like on Twitter and LinkedIn and that sort of thing, you know, doing your tech thing. So help us. What's the metaverse? Should we be scared? (laughs) (laughs) I think a little bit, maybe. I I think, am I a tech guy? I'd like to think I was a a parent first, an educator second, and then sort of a have an awareness of technology and, and how that's impacting positively and negatively on my kids and the kids I, I teach and work with and, and help teachers to work with as well. So I think it's all about learning first and, and technology second. But the metaverse, okay, I think it's good to go back to first principles sometimes and look at that word meta. So obviously there are various different applications. I mean, teachers, as educators and teachers, we tend to come across this word or phrase in terms of metacognition or thinking about thinking so it's not the thinking itself but what lies behind it right how we describe the process it's self-referential it's of thinking in in metaphysics it's around transcending reality into another world beyond what we see so when Mark zuckerberg talks about the metaverse he goes back to the ancient greek meaning after or beyond so 
what goes beyond what lies next beyond the the internet. And so we can think of the metaverse as a highly immersive virtual world. Think the Matrix or Avatar or Ready Player One, but very much connected to what us older folk would call the real world. So it's not just about virtual reality. It's not just about popping on a pair of goggles and playing a game in, in, a, in an immersive environment or having a meeting across a table that doesn't really exist. It's really about a collection of what we call Web 3.0 technologies. So we have the, the blockchain, Internet of Things, augmented reality, virtual reality, non-fungible tokens, which we can talk about a bit later. So all these new technologies driving a new way of interacting. But I think maybe the, the best way to think about the metaverse is rather than being on the internet and just going on the internet now and again, it's really moving into a situation where we're, we're going to be living in the internet and it's really connected to the real world that we live in. And what we do in the metaverse has real implications for our, our real world lives, if you like, both you know, socially, financially, physically, health-wise, and so on. So it's about this connection of two worlds and the next world beyond the real one that we, we think we live in now. Wow. We should really be scared because I'm thinking now <laughs> we, we live on the internet, like virtually, we're just always on the thing. And you're saying that with the metaverse, we're going to essentially be living in the internet. That that yeah. scares me. <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's quite reassuring also, though, to know that this is not something that, I don't think this is something that's going to be launched, although the big tech companies would like to do so and say they've created it. It's something that's already with us. We're in, we've been in early iterations of it for some time now. So if you look at, Games like Minecraft and Fortnite, um, even <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that got a reaction, right? Yes, yeah. it does. With I'm a mother of two nine-year-old boys who live and breathe Minecraft. Among Us, Fortnite, what's the other one they play? Roblox. Mm. Oh my God, that that's their whole life. And then at Christmas we got them an Oculus for our sins. Like I don't even know why we did that. That was error number one. And so now they're just immersed in mm. gaming the, to the point where they're talking to me about the fact that, oh, mom, we want to start learning how to build games. And I'm like, yes, that's great. But like, am I going to even see you physically anymore when you get to a certain age where you can decide how you spend your time? And it's a really good point. I've got three kids under 12 as well. You know, when you say, am I going to see my kids? It may be that you'll be seeing a lot more of them in the metaverse. <sighs> And that's something we maybe as adults need to consider and, and getting ourselves into the games, right? I mean, it, it is a real world for them. You know, going back, I remember more than 10, even 15 years, I'll not name it, but there was a great maths program that I used to use with my primary students. And the kids used to buy items in the game for their bedroom and decorate their virtual bedroom. And they got tokens to buy things from the shop for getting maths questions, right? It was very sort of extrinsic motivation, but actually because it was in the game, it became more intrinsic. It became part of the life. So it mattered what they, you know, the maths was connected to what they could get for the bedroom. And then it's really moving on now. So if you look at Fortnite, and this is a key point about the connection between the metaverse and the, and the real world, things cost real money now. 
right? They have real value. So the kids will, given half a chance, think nothing of spending $50 on a new skin in Fortnite or, or a costume, an outfit, or a new tool or a weapon or, or something like that. And big business is moving in, right? So you've got Nike creating virtual trainers, you know, training shoes, and selling them for hundreds of, of dollars, maybe even thousands of dollars as they become collector items. And it's easy to say these things don't exist, but the point is if something has value, it exists, right? And you look at Bitcoin, which is another key sort of element of the forming metaverse. Bitcoin, you could say it doesn't exist, but it has value if someone else trusts in its value and, and will trade in it and thinks they can buy something else with it, something in the real world. And in a way, real money doesn't exist. You know, if you've got a piece of paper, it only has value, or even on a credit card or a number in your bank account, it only has value because other people en masse trust in that value and will exchange it and recognize the same value across the world. So that's where we're really moving into this new world of online digital items having real value. And that's where we come into non-fungible tokens, right? Which is a phenomenal sort of creation and a new thing that is just becoming sort of a reality. But the early adopters are having a ball. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I was watching, I think it was Gary V. And he was just on and on about how if we don't get into NFTs now, it's as if we're going to regret it for the rest of our lives. And I'm like, I don't even know what it is. I don't know where to begin. A good friend of mine, Jeremy Williams, shout out to Jeremy if you're listening to this podcast. Before he left this region, he was like, Lisa, you have to start educating yourself about NFTs, getting your boys into it and really understanding how to create NFTs and how to trade in NFTs. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even, you know, I'm, I'm still learning to use my Mac. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, and it's a really important point, right? I mean, we can get on later and talk about the importance of media creation skills and so on and what we can be doing in schools to improve these. Uh, but basically, non-fungible tokens are, they're a proof of ownership, a record on the blockchain, which is like an online register of ownership, ownership of, over a unique digital creation that you may have created yourself or you've bought or, or come by in some other way. So it's not quite like a trademark because with a trademark, you, you can't copy it and pass it off and, you know, and use it maybe. With an NFT, you may have a copy of it. And you, you know, think of it in the real world, if you, you can have a copy of the Mona Lisa, but it's not the real one. Okay? With an NFT, there's real value to having that, that original. So you know, the Twitter founder, Jack Dorsey, sold his first tweet for almost $3 million, which sounds crazy because every, you know, everyone can get this tweet, right? You follow Jack Dorsey, it's there, you go back far enough. But having the original tweet that he says is the original and has registered on the blockchain as an NFT has real value. And it has value for the most part because the person who bought it is presumably hoping they can sell it on. So it's an investment, right? NFTs are up there with stocks and shares now as a viable investment, up there with Bitcoin and so on, possibly a little less risky. And there's a real skill to playing the NFT market now. And that's one of the things we can be thinking about with our own children and teaching our children, not just how to create media and create digital art and music and 
and, and stories and you know fiction, non-fiction, everything else that all these creative arts, but how to monetize it, how to trade the commercial awareness and, and the acceptance that this is a new industry. Right. And trading trading different types of digital value online is something that, you know, my generation certainly is is not up with, but needs to get cracking, I think. Yeah. So why should educators sit up and pay attention? I know you touched on it a little bit, but I think we need to dive a little bit deeper is why should education stakeholders pay attention now? And the key word there is now. Yeah, I think because our children don't have time to waste because, you know, my daughter is my youngest one. My daughter is four. And in 30 or 40 years, she's going to be banging the workforce there, banging the middle of the workforce. You know, and that's going to be her life. So if you imagine what the world was like 40 years ago, I think the only technology we had in our house was a record player. So it's absolutely critical that they're, you know, we, we, we teach them how to, how to live in, in such an uncertain world. It's important because our kids are already in it and they're already starting to navigate this world and, and, and asking why, you know, can I buy this? And my answer is generally, can't you create something that someone else wants to buy? Yeah. <laughs> because I think a key, a key point is whatever the metaverse eventually looks like, more than ever, the creators are going to be controlling the consumers. Mm. Okay? The creators are the winners here. And the passive consumers are the cattle wandering around the field, if you like, just waiting to have things done to them. Mm. So I think it's really exciting, right? Because creativity is not just a buzzword. It's not just the great Sir Ken Robinson talking about how important it is. It's, it actually has real value now. And it's easier, I think, for certainly for kids to see real value. So big business is monetizing it. Our own kids are monetizing it. It's a real industry and it's where they're going to live. So, you know, th- there are examples already of young people falling foul of the metaverse. And a young man sentenced in the US recently, seven and a half years in jail for creating a cryptocurrency Ponzi scheme. And he, I don't think he didn't set out to do this, right? He, he started off having built what seemed like a, a viable algorithm that could work out you know, what, what to do in the markets and so on. But when his clients became suspicious, he, he, said, to, you know, he said to the court, you know, instead of coming clean, I, I doubled down on my lies. And I, I, thought, I, was, I thought I was in a, in a video game and I, I'd found the cheat code and I, I could win. And he realized it wasn't a video game, but of course, and that's what he said. He said, it wasn't a video game, but actually the point is it kind of was a video game, but with an impact on real life. So we have to teach our kids how to be, how to navigate this world, how to create, but also how to, you know, how to be safe in in the new world. It's going way beyond basic internet safety. Right, because when you're really living in this world and it has more and more impact on your real life, it, it's really critical. And and you know, students entering the workforce, they need to be able to demonstrate competence in navigating the metaverse because business is going to be done, it already is being done in this online world. And I talked about wider stakeholders, you know, initial teacher training providers, non-going teacher training providers, universities and, and, and other institutions. They need to be maybe teaching teachers to create media and to teach children how to create media and how to monetize it, the commercial sense around that. 
there's a massive shortage. We're not talking about coding and, and you know, your computer science and everything else. That we, that's another podcast, I guess. This is just about creative media. Huge shortage of, of teachers who can teach kids how to create media. But when I was a kid, certainly when I was doing my A-levels and, and GCSEs and so on back in the UK, media studies was treated as a bit of a joke. It was kind of in my time kind, as well. Yeah, uh, kind of a thing you did if if you weren't good at the main subjects, right? Yeah. I think people who took it are probably sort of laughing now. I don't know if you know a guy called Charlie Brooker. He wrote uh, he wrote the Black Mirror series. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. On Netflix, and I think he he, he I think he gave up on his college course. I read somewhere because he was told by his tutors that he wanted to do his thesis on gaming. And he was told it wasn't a proper subject for a thesis and he couldn't do it. So he just quit and went into creating media and stuff. So I would hate kids to be in that situation. So we have an obligation to make sure that our teachers are upskilled and are able to give the kids what they need. And really it's about, you know, beyond creativity, it's about hyper-personalization as well. So we have an opportunity now more than ever with the technology to give every single child, you know, if you're a teacher sitting with 25, 30, even more kids in your class, you think, how do I teach every child what they need? The technology is getting there now where every single child can be given their own holistic learning pathway, not just to get through the school curriculum, but to build a profile and build the skills and develop their passions and find their purpose that they really, really need. So we're not just talking about the next maths question in an adaptive program. It's about, right, this child, the passion is karate. How do we get them extra lessons in there? How do we connect them with other peers and causes and other courses? And it's critical for schools, especially to realize this is happening because the disruption like Uber don't have cars, right? And we hear that, you know, Airbnb don't have hotels and things like that. The disruption in education in many ways is not coming from within the system, from within schools. If we look at where the real disruption is starting to happen around personalized learning or the innovative providers around the periphery. So you look at all the, the, the rise in online and blended schooling models, all the extracurricular activities, especially in the Middle East that our, our kids are scheduled for every week. Music, the arts, martial arts, technology, languages. So much of this is now happening outside of school as the kids and parents are really kind of driving this personalized agenda. So it's, it's so important on so many levels. In terms of safety as well, if we look at the data situation, I was in the shops in a supermarket yesterday uh, and, and the lovely shop assistant, when I was putting my shopping through, said, What's your phone number? Can you, can you give me your phone number? <laughs> I, I hate that question because you, you always think, well, not really, because it's mine, right? And what are you going to do with it? Well, we need it. We need it to send you the receipt. So we, can you not just print it out like you used to? No, we just send it digitally now. And then, of course, you give your phone number and you get start get text messages from companies that are selling things a bit like what you bought and they know more about you. And then you've got your email and, and, and things like that. So you know, data protection is going to be even more critical because to survive in the metaverse, what you get out of it will depend how much data you put into it to personalize the wow. experience. Wow. So teaching kids how to protect their data is more critical than ever. 
I think by now I have some listeners who are planning how to go off grid. Don't go off grid just yet. I just want to pull it back with (laughs) Phil just a little bit and talk about something that you mentioned earlier, which I think is going to be critical. You talked about the fact that teachers have to now start being trained and being prepared to help students to navigate the metaverse. And you talk about initial teacher training. You talk about continuing professional development. Does anything like that even exist right now? Because the metaverse is fast approaching. There are elements of it that are currently in play, but I don't know. And I've got my finger very firmly on the pulse of education, if I was to say so myself, but I don't know of a course right now for teachers that are even introducing them to the elements of the metaverse. Do you know of any? And how do we even start with this? Uh, I think, you know, at the moment it's around early adopters, trailblazers, really finding their way. I mean, what, what I would say is schools are doing a really good job now of preparing kids, maybe not consciously, but preparing children with the skills that will serve them well. So there are a lot of great things happening in schools. If you look at, you know, the IB maybe started this many, many years ago. And I know even the IB are looking at revamping it with Every school now seems to have a learner profile that focuses on soft skills or what you might term 21st century skills, even though we're almost a quarter of the way through the 21st century now. So I think that will come in the the, the teacher training. But what's happening in schools right now is really important. It's really positive. You know, schools are doing a great job. So you look at things that will serve kids well, like your soft skills, so communication, empathy, emotional intelligence, self-regulation you know learning skills you know when I was a young teacher there was a big backlash against learning to learn it was called the lunacy of lunacy (laughs) I remember a chapter in a book by a chief inspector in the UK who was saying go back to basics right traditional learning will work and it's not about knowledge versus skills you know we know you need both I think that's probably a dead argument you can't build on nothing kids love to know things and you need to know things to create something else. So it's not, I don't think that's an important tension. But, you know, schools are really good as well at working with kids on communication. Yes. And in the metaverse, as we see now, communicating to influence, get the message across to, not necessarily to control, but to use your emotional intelligence to communicate, to get people to do what you want them to do to buy your products, to buy your NFTs, Mm -hmm. to to come along with you and to join your cause is incredibly important. So writing and telling stories has always been important in human history. It's even more important now because everyone has a platform. And the metaverse is going to accelerate that even further. So communicating and teaching kids how to influence is arguably the most important skill our children need to learn. And, And schools are really good at this, right? Yes. They're really good at developing the soft skills through the learner profile. What I would say is maybe we're not so good at reporting it. I think you can tell a lot about how important a school really believes these soft skills are when you look at the kids' report. Mm. Is it really valued? Is it up there with maths and English and Arabic and science? Or is it an afterthought? Is the everyday language around creativity influencing? And the opportunities the kids get to publish their work. So are they just handing work in on a learning platform and the teacher liking it? Or does it have real purpose? Are they commercializing it? Are we teaching them how to commercialize it? Wow, those are good questions. I'm thinking especially about whether or not we're just having students do work for the sake of work 
or are we really getting them to work with a purpose? And we have all the opportunities and all the platforms and everything available to turn that work that we have students do in the classroom into meaningful work. And even starting to commercialize some of the work that students do and to get them into that mindset of this is where the future is going, that everybody has to become entrepreneurial. Everybody has to start, you know, learning how to navigate this, what they're now calling Web 3.0. Again, (laughs) it's technology term that makes me go, oh, yes, but it is here and it's coming. I wanted to find out in small steps. What could the metaverse, how could it be used in the classroom? Small steps, because I know you're talking about the skills that we already are developing and schools are very good at. We're, We're just not very good at quantifying them and reporting them. But if we go back to sort of basics and think, okay, how do we start educating the students bit by bit by bit by bit in the classroom about the metaverse and what they can expect? Right. So I think, you know, the skills are critical, but technology wise, and this is happening as well, you know, as much as possible. Let's get the kids access to the VR and the AR and the creative tools to build their own NFTs. You know, and again, there's a teacher training element to that, allowing students to demonstrate that mastery within the curriculum. Uh, because I know that all schools have curriculum constraints, right? And it's not about adding more. Again, something schools are really good at, and have, have, this has become even better at it in the last 10, 15, 20 years maybe, is creative curriculum design to bring skills and other knowledge and values and attributes into the framework of the curriculum they have to deliver and, and fitting it in. So that creative curriculum design is absolutely critical, but also using the language, valuing every day the creativity that children are demonstrating in the classroom and giving them the platform physically in the space, in the classroom to do, you know, it's gone way beyond show and tell, do more show and tell. And then moving it, you know, telling stories, but then moving it into the VR space, getting kids to to bring their own Minecraft worlds and so on. And there's a lot of Minecraft, you know, there's a, there's a Minecrafter called Pippin that my son told me about, <laughs> who is... And this is, this is incredible. He's building the entire world in Minecraft right now. Right? And they, they've created a new type of block that will allow them to do this because they couldn't go above a certain height before. So he's trying to build Mount Everest and he couldn't do it. So they had to change the technology and, and so on. So it's about mindset, I think, for the adults. Accepting this is, this is real. For the kids, it's real for the future. Having a positive mindset about gaming, you know, it's not just a waste of time. It's a real industry and valuing it and giving kids as much opportunity to create and publish for a purpose as possible. And then building the commercial side around it as well. You you imagine Kidzania, which I think everyone knows Kidzania, that can exist now in a virtual world. We could create Kidzania. We can create a whole ecosystem of entrepreneurship in a virtual world why not you know forget having even if it's just starting with you know the metaverse week creating a virtual world there's a great program called planet zoo great tool where you can create your own zoo and the, and the, the animals respond to the environment you've given them and so on there's one called bitcoin trading master where you can play the markets without the risk and learn the skills so all these simulations already exist. Maybe instead of that maths lesson or the other maths lesson, or you know, 
build it into the curriculum, which teachers and curriculum coordinators are really good at doing. So, so yeah. it's not instead of, let's build that in as the lesson. Right. You know, and teach the skills in a parallel fashion. And again, schools are great at this, right? You know, teachers are creative people by nature. Yeah. It's just about passing that on. Yeah, I do agree with you. I mean, we, we could talk about this forever, like 30 mm-hmm. minutes just flew by and we haven't even scratched the surface. I, I can see a part two coming and, and loads of questions. So if you are listening to this podcast, do leave us a comment. Do get in touch with us at Teach Middle East. We are on Twitter at Teach Middle East and, you know, send us your comments. Maybe we can get Phil back. But before we even go to the end of the podcast, I wanted to find out for teachers who are listening and if they're anything like me and they really are interested and they want to know more, where do they start? Like, how can teachers become more knowledgeable about the metaphors? Where do they go? Uh, I think one answer to that is ask the kids, right? Because they're already in it. Ask the kid, you know, talk to the kids more about what they do, find out what they value in the online world, what games they play, what their dreams and aspirations are, and how to help them get there. And I think that will naturally lead teachers and everyone, all of us who work with kids and have kids to help support them. But ironically, you know, a lot of the the channels I think to find out more about the metaverse are the old boring ones, the web 2.0. So you know, following hashtags on Twitter and LinkedIn and so on, following key players in the space. We know how well the algorithms work in social media. So if you start expressing an interest in NFTs and Bitcoin and the blockchain and creative media and so on, you're going to get pushed more content on that. So the algorithms are already pretty good, sometimes quite annoying, and they don't (laughs) give you too much of one thing. But again, learning to control the algorithm and override it and push it in a different way is, is a key skill as well. So it's, again, Ken Robinson, I think, was he was criticized for, people used to say, but you haven't done anything, right? You haven't actually made it happen. And I think that was unfortunate because the message I always got from Sir Ken Robinson was, I'm putting this out there, but you have to do it for yourself. You know, every single person in education can make a difference, which is why all of us came into it. So what can we do today? just to make that small change, learn more about the kids and then change our practice to suit them and to really sort of unlearn, you know, as Alvin Toffler said, unlearn and relearn and think about what we can do better because we're already doing a pretty good job, I think, but what can we do better to help the kids personalize their learning and and find their purpose in life? Yeah, I, I genuinely hope that educators will join some sort of, I don't know, group or whatever it is that will help them to understand what this is and where it's going. Let's put your genie hat on your little, not your genie hat, more like your crystal ball on. And can you tell me where you see us going from here? Like, what do you see the future of education looking like with all of what we've just discussed, the metaverse and all that it entails? Where do you see us going? Where do we go from here? No one knows, I think is the answer. <laughs> Anyone who says they do, I either talk to them a lot or treat them with some distrust. I'm not convinced that the big disruption is coming from within, like I said. You know, you've, you've got disruptions around the periphery, and this seems to be the pattern. So the hotel industry disrupted by Airbnb and the travel industry disrupted by Uber and so on. And we're seeing because students are demanding more personalization, 
they have more options to go elsewhere. So Steve Wozniak has started up his Was You quite a number of years ago, learning on demand, go and get what you need when you need it. Mm. Right? You're not tied to any one institution. So I think that disruption from the outside, not to kill off schools altogether, but to augment and completely change the landscape of where kids go to learn. There are huge opportunities in terms of things like special educational needs and inclusion, because the metaverse can be a great leveler. Mm. It's a space where you can enter as someone else, where all challenges are null and void, because the technology can support every, every need. So when you're in this space, you don't have the challenges you might have in the real world, which is an incredible opportunity to level the playing field. And then, you know, finally, the great risk is that there are, I think, about a third of the world, and we sometimes forget this, it's easy to forget this, maybe living the lives most of us do, we're very privileged, a third of the world are not on the internet at all. So people who have missed out on 1.0 and 2.0, the digital divide could potentially just get wider and wider unless we step up, you know, sustainable development goals week last week. You know, if we don't step up as a species and as a profession and really take steps to democratize the internet in, in its new iteration and the metaverse and give everyone access, because if everyone has access, it can be a great leveler. But if we let the divide grow larger, then we're in trouble, I think. Yeah, right. So, and I didn't want to end it on that note, <laughs> but uh, I do want to thank you, though, Phil, mm-hmm. for you know sharing your insights. I think there's just so much more to dive into. Mm-hmm. There's just a whole lot for us to learn. But I think the start of the conversation is always important. And, and so we've started the conversation in this episode of the podcast, and hopefully we'll be able to continue it. We'll be able to deep dive a little bit further at some other point. If you do want to reach Phil, how can people reach you? Uh, at Phil Redhead on Twitter is probably the best or just phil at kinteract.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Phil, for being on the Teach Middle East podcast. Thank you, Lisa Grace. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Teach Middle East podcast. Visit our website, teachmiddleeast.com and follow us on social media. The links are in the show notes. <laughs>